0: Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 14 to 20. So let's read and then I'll pray and we'll get into the word. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. God, how wonderful you are, Lord, that you redeem, you restore, you renew, you bring back our fortunes, God. You carry us through this life, God, through the battles, through the trials and the tribulations, Lord, through the joys, through the sufferings, through the the jubilation, through celebration, God. And today we want to celebrate you for what you have done, Lord. Lord, we know that We don't deserve this beauty. We don't deserve you singing over us this way, but you do because you love us, God. Your great love for us overcomes all the things in our lives, Lord. You lead us by your hand. You anoint us by your presence, and you send us by your calling. So, Lord, I just ask this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint our minds, our hearts, our spirits, that you would anoint my lips, Lord, that you would speak through me, God, that you would just proclaim the beauty of who you are and that all the people will say, our Lord is great. In Jesus' name, amen. What makes your heart sing? Think about this for a moment. What in life absolutely captures your soul, mind, and emotions? Okay, pastoral confession here. I love musicals. I know, I know. I know many of you just thought to yourself, I used to like him, now I don't know. But like, that's that's the way it goes. Truthfully, I love musicals. But especially the ones where the protagonist accidentally runs into the love of their life and begins to pursue them. I'm kind of a romantic at heart, so. You begin secretly cheering for them to win over the guy or girl of interest. Sure, you want to see their relationship grow. That's the fun part of it. Um, But we love it when the attraction becomes obvious and is reciprocated. Let's face it. We're never satisfied by unrequited love. Unrequited love is difficult. You know, loving somebody or loving something and not getting anything in return. When we see the sparkle in the eyes of the one that's desired, when we look at the joy they're experiencing when they come together as one, we see this desire and we just want to see it reciprocated. I think about like TV shows when I think about this. You ever watch a show where there's like, there's one person, you know, they like the other person, you're like, why don't they get together? Well, it's because they're going to give you tension for like five years, right? But the truth is, sometimes they do it too quickly, and you're like, oh, you ruined it. Like, you should have let it go a little bit longer. But the truth is, we want to see that happen. And we love it when not only we love someone else, but when we ourselves are loved in return. We've all been created with this desire to love and be loved in return. Not only do we feel this way about someone else, but we want someone to feel this way about us. Not only should we feel this way about loving God, but he actually feels this way about us. Think about that. Like, think about the rebelliousness of our hearts and the struggle that we have. God wants us to be obedient to him because he knows what he has for us is best for us but we struggle and we say, well, I want this part. You can have this part, God, but I want this part. And we go through that struggle, and God is still saying, hey, my heart is for you. I love you. I want you to come into my fold. I, I don't like what sin does to you. I don't like how it affects you, but I love you. God pursues us even when we're running from him. This is not merely a romantic love either. It's a love surpassing the romance of Broadway musicals. It's a love that is sacrificial. A love so powerful it breaks through every barrier to restore us to the core of our being. This love isn't based on likes or dislikes, and it's not based merely on emotions. This is a pure love. a love wrought in the heavens, a love set apart exclusively for us by God and through God. The crazy thing is, God loves us and continues to love us even when we don't love or acknowledge him as God. The question is, how can God love such rebellious people? How does God love those who rant against him, who even want to destroy him in their hearts and minds? Before we continue, let me give you a little context to where we are right here in this passage. Um, in Zephaniah, he was a prophet of God. He was a man who spoke the oracles of God to the nation of Israel. This was a time when the northern kingdom of Israel was separated from the southern kingdom of Judah. The two previous kings, Manasseh and Ammon, they reigned in idolatry. They turned away the people from the hearts of Yahweh. Josiah became the next in line to rule over Judah. And tradition tells us that Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign as the king of Judah. Can you imagine that, being eight years old? Like, you're king today? It's wild. It was then that Josiah began to seek the God of his father, David. Now, it's interesting to me, I'm always interested in this, how evil kings have good sons, and how good kings have evil sons. I could never get my mind wrapped around that. How did Josiah decide, I'm gonna follow the God of my father, David? How did he come to that conclusion? Well, we're gonna see that in a few moments. But before that, we have to know that Josiah, because of his fervor for the Lord, he destroyed all the altars of Baal and Asherah and all the gods in the high places and he considered them idolatrous. Now, Zephaniah, he was the prophet of the day, and he had proclaimed judgment would come on Judah for their idolatry. And he set his heart on seeing the day Yahweh would restore them. When we get to chapter three of Zephaniah's prophecy, he looks to the future blessing that God would have on the entire nation of Israel, even as they had turned their idolatrous hearts against him. There would come a time when Yahweh would restore his relationship to his people. He would do this through his love for them. God's love would remove the sin and shame of Israel's past. He would do this through his mercy and grace, the same mercy and grace that saves you and I today. The same mercy and grace God proclaims over us when God's love has removed our condemnation. Now, this is interesting Zephaniah starts chapter 3 by asking the people to begin by singing. Now, he's just given us two chapters of condemnation, of judgment upon the nation of Israel to read over, to consider, to think over. And if I was living in that day in, as an Israelite, and God told me, okay, now, I want you to begin by singing. And I'm like, wait, you just told me that you're going to destroy the nation, the people are going to be judged, we're going to be condemned because of our sin, our idolatrous hearts. What do I do with that? The prophet tells the people to sing aloud, to shout, to exalt the Lord with their heart. Why should the nation of Israel rejoice? How were they to sing when Zephaniah just placed all these judgments against them? Well, even though Israel would suffer the consequences of their sin, the reason they can sing is because God has removed their condemnation. When God removes our condemnation, the joy of our heart, it resolves. We've been given this weight that's taken off of us, this lightness. Do you remember, I don't know how you guys are, but I remember the first day that I got saved. And I just felt like this weight that I had been carrying around my entire life, had just been lifted. I felt free. I felt joy that I hadn't had before. That's the joy of losing that judgment that God had placed upon them because of their sin. He took it away. God's the one that takes away the judgment. And condemnation always, when it is removed, brings freedom. When the weight of sin is removed and we're renewed and restored to God, we're released from that weight of sin. I know that Many of you today were thinking this very thing as you entered the sanctuary. It's Christmas. You know, Christmas is a time for us to to have joyous hearts for what God has done, for the fact that Jesus came into the world, that he came, he incarnated as a man and became one of us. And he can sympathize with us in all things because he knows how we are. He knows who we are. And he's, he's taken that weight from us. When the weight of sin is removed and we're renewed and restored by God, we're released from that weight of sin. So as you came in today, you might have had a heavy heart. You might be thinking, the holidays kind of bummed me out. Like they remind me of things that happened in the past, of things that I hoped for that didn't happen, of things maybe that I did that I wish I wouldn't have done. Of of all these kind of things that kind of we speak to ourselves, and we don't even have to be condemned by God. We we sometimes condemn ourselves, don't we? And so we come, you know, we come to church, and we're like, "Yeah, I'm going to come to church. I want to be spoken to today," but like I really don't feel like being here. God, please help me. So why should you sing? Why should we sing? Sometimes when we don't feel like we can sing aloud, when we don't have the ability within us to sing aloud, let alone shout, we need to remember who we are in God's kingdom. We are loved by God. We are loved by God. He loved Jesus loved us so much that he came. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. We're his children. We are the children of God. Have you ever thought about, like, have you ever taken that serious? Like, think about your kids. You would do pretty much anything for your kids. That's how God sees you. You're his kid. He loves you. He loves us because we are his children. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. We have this confidence in Christ that he's always going to be with us, never leaving or forsaking us. He's our salvation. He's the one that comes and he redeems us by his blood. He he gives us everything that he has because he's given us everything that he is. He gave us all so we can be renewed, restored and redeemed to God. You see, God's love has no bounds. Our love can be fickle. Our love can be based on likes or dislikes. Our love can be based on what someone has done for us, done to us, or what we have done to them or received from them. But God's love has no bounds. See, the people of Israel could sing because they were forgiven. They were set free from their judgment, and they were cleared of their condemnation. They could do this because God's presence was with them. God's presence coming in, breaking through into creation, His presence making known who he was to the nation of Israel, even when they were turning their hearts away from him. He ran after them. He runs after you and I. He cares about every single part of your life. The Lord was in their midst. Zephaniah tells us in this passage that the Lord was in their midst. Because the Lord was in their midst, He had cleared their enemies. He had destroyed their enemies before them. You know, when you read the Old Testament, the thing that is so beautiful and incredible and amazing to me is that God fights the battles. He doesn't ask you to fight the battle. He asks you to follow him. He fights the battles. You know, you think about um, times in the Bible where there's wars. You know, think about when God asked the children of Israel to walk around the walls, and just clang bottles. What does that mean? Like you would would say, "You're, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. You really think God's gonna work by doing that? But he was the one that was gonna bring the walls of Jericho down. He's the one that brings the walls down in our lives. He's the one that broke the walls down for Israel. You know, the Bible tells us that there's no fear in love. And when God's in our midst, there's no fear of evil. So even when something that you sense in your life seems to be evil, seems to be coming against you. We don't have to fear because God is in our midst. It also tells us in the Bible that there's no fear in God because God is love. There's no fear there is no fear in God because God is love and love overcomes fear. So we have nothing to fear when God is with us. And the nation of Israel had nothing to fear Because God said, I am with you. You know, it's like David's cry in Psalm 23 when he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. But remember this, God gave the people the reason they would sing after he told them to sing aloud. That's always so interesting to me. A sacrifice of praise. What does that mean? What does that mean to us? To dig into the depths of your soul and praise God, even when you don't feel like it, even when times are hard, even when you're going through struggles. Sometimes God asks us to trust him, even when everything looks bleak, even when your world is falling apart. But then we can offer, as the book of Hebrews tells us, a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that acknowledge God's name When we acknowledge God's name, we can proclaim our trust in him. Have you ever noticed sometimes when you come into the sanctuary and you don't, you're like, I just, my spirit is down. This is, you know, they're going to sing right now. I don't really feel like singing. And then you just start singing. You start proclaiming the name of the Lord. And as you do that, God stirs something up in your heart. And you are completely just let go of all the things that were happening at that moment. And you're able to be in his presence. That's what, the, that's what Zephaniah is talking about here. That's what he's saying is that sometimes God asks us to trust him. And sometimes when he asks us to do that, he just wants us to sing aloud, just to sing his name. And the reason why we're able to do that is because God's judgment is removed by his great love for us. Because he will never leave us. God is with us in the storm. He's with us in our trials. Jesus is in the boat with us. Remember that sinking ship with the disciples? You know, Jesus was there sleeping. He was with them the whole time. They had nothing to fear, but they looked at their circumstances. And when we do that, when we look at our circumstances, we sink. When we look at Christ, we are in the boat with him, and we realize that our hope, our trust, and our faith are all resolved by who he is and not our circumstances. Jesus walks alongside us and he carries us through every trial. You know, when God's love has removed judgment, he makes a way to restore our relationship to him when God's love restores our fortunes. Now, when you when you hear that, you know, when the passage says that He would restore their fortunes the first thing you think of is great like my business is going to be awesome i'm going to have money in the bank my stocks are going to fly i'm going to have all these things that's not what zephaniah is talking about though you know what he's talking about is something more valuable than possessions but it is a possession when you own it and that is the fact that our fortunes are not exclusively material or monetary they can't be bought or sold. Our fortune is God himself. You know, I love, there's this passage in the Old Testament where God's talking to Abraham and Abraham's just unsure about what God's gonna do. And he says, Abraham, I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. That always stuck with my heart because it's like, this is, this is the value. This is the worth. This is really the fortune that we have is our relationship with God. It's greater than anything we can own or possess. All these things that we have on this earth, we can enjoy them. They're fine. They're great. But they're all going to fade away. One day, the thing that's going to be our fortune is when we walk with Jesus in a new heaven and a new earth. That's our hope. That's why we proclaim this. That's why we celebrate Advent, the coming of Christ that has already happened, but the coming of Christ that is to come. That's our hope. We we trudge through this life. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's unbearable. But God is with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And he is our fortune. So the fortune of God's presence brings healing, hope, health, and reconciliation so that Israel would no longer suffer reproach. There was no more disapproval or disappointment. These are some of the things that weigh us down, right? When we're you can be so disappointed in yourself that you can't even function. It's things that you did in your past that you can't resolve. Guess what? When Jesus came and he died on the cross, washed away. Those things are washed away. Why are we living in them still? Who are we in Christ? These are the things we have to ask ourselves. Why are we living in that still? We don't have to live in disappointment or disapproval any longer. Jesus has taken all of that. But he's talking to Israel here. And in Israel, in regards to their relationship with God, they had walked away. They walked away. They said, you know, we're going to just worship the other idols. We're going to go to the high places. We're going to worship them. We're going to make sacrifices to these gods. And they even forgot about their festivals. Now, you have to realize they're in captivity. Babylon is is, is in captivity over there, over them. And at this time, they they really didn't even push to celebrating again. And and it's interesting to me that God makes Israel celebrate. Why does he do that? The reason why God makes Israel celebrate is because there are times when we should be celebrating and we aren't. Because the disillusionment and disappointment in our lives say, I can't celebrate right now. Well, guess what? Zephaniah says to Israel, you can. Jesus says to us, you can. That you are not your circumstances. Your circumstances may be there. They may be in your life. But that is not who you are. Who you are is a child of Christ. And so they couldn't, they, they had this disappointment and this despair over the fact that they had not celebrated any of the festivals and they had guilt for what they hadn't done and they had guilt from what they had done. They'd sinned against God and they hadn't celebrated. But you know what? This is the thing. God was not disappointed in them. He hated what sin did to them though, Right? He's not, God is not disappointed with you today. I want you to know that. He is not disappointed with you. He's disappointed with how sin wrecks our life because he knows the results of that. But guess what? Jesus made a way. And so we don't have to live in that. We don't have to live in any of that. But God also doesn't disapprove of you. He doesn't disapprove of who you are. He hates the guilt and shame that come from sin that some of us walk around in, the guilt over things that we did and didn't do, the shame for things that we did do. You know, those things, terrible as they are, are washed away through the blood of Christ. God said he was taking away the sin and shame from Israel. What had they done to deserve that? Had they done anything? This is unmerited grace. God was was pouring out grace Even in the Old Testament, before Jesus ever came, he was showing the nation of Israel that he was going to take away their sins. He would be the one that did it all. God's desire is for for you. It's for Israel, but it's for you. God's desire is that you would walk under his shelter, that you would live under his reign, that you would die to yourself and be obedient to his calling. Well, I have a question for you today. Are you living in God's approval? Are you disappointed with yourself? You know, we can often be our worst critics, like I said earlier. Is your self-talk dragging you down? Are you telling yourself you're worthless? Are you telling yourself you can't do things? Are you telling yourself, like, I sinned, so I might as well just go do more? Like, that's, that's not what God has for us. You know, God's love surpasses all the disappointment that we might live in or the disapproval we experience through his restoration of our soul. Zephaniah then tells us that God will restore them. He will be the one that restores Israel. He's going to restore them politically from the oppression of Babylon. He's going to change all the things. Now, we know that Israel was looking for a savior who was going to rule and reign, and they were wrong in that. We know that. But we also know that God was going to be the one that delivered them from the political realm and overtaking of who they were and their identity in God. But he's also going to restore them physically, socially, and emotionally. God's telling his people that he's going to heal them. He's bringing them hope. This is the hope that we need in this Advent season. The hope of the fact that God's love by sending his son, is gonna overcome all the things that we're dealing with in our lives. You know, God is the remedy for Israel. God is their remedy. He's gonna deal with their oppressors. He gives them, now Zephaniah just gives them this long list of all the things that he's gonna do, that God's gonna do for the nation of Israel. He says he will deal with their oppressors. He will save the afflicted. He will gather the outcast. He will change their shame into praise. All these things personal. First, he talks to them personally, but then he talks to them nationally. And Yahweh is the hope of Israel. So he says, God says, he will make Israel renowned in all the earth. This little nation in the middle of the the Middle East, in the middle of the world, that's kind of insignificant in the eyes of the world. God says he's going to make them his renown. But he not only says that he's going to make them his renown. He says he's going to make them praised in all the earth. That the earth will praise these people because they represent who God is. Not because of who they are, because of who he is. That's what God's going to do. He's going to bring renown in all the earth. Zephaniah repeats this twice, and any time you're reading your Bible and God repeats something twice, he kind of wants to slap you in the face. Hey, listen, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to bring renown in all the earth through this nation. He's going to bring renown in all the earth as we are adopted into his kingdom, as we are joint heirs in this kingdom of God. Then he says, I will restore your fortunes before your eyes. If God has all these plans for his people, who could not love a God like this? If he tells you all these things, and we know that they're true, we know that they're real, we know that God has done things in our lives because of our testimony, right? Our testimony is that he delivers us. We all have these amazing stories of deliverance from who we were being made brand new through the blood of Christ. He makes us brand new because he's the one that wants to show the world who he is through you and I. So who would not desire to live in his love, acceptance, and abundant grace? The promise God made through Zephaniah would be carried through the glory of this child that was going to be born to a teenage girl in a manger, in a stable. How humble, how beautiful, how simple. How incredible that the maker of all heaven and earth would come through a teenage girl being born in a stable. Why was he not born in a a king's palace? Because God wanted to show us that he was there for all of mankind. He's not just there for people that have wealth or have possessions or have their identity through their profession or how great they are. He came for everybody, and he came in a humble way. You know, even though a choir of angels would sing upon Jesus' arrival, this child of hope would enter into the world without singing or shouts from the joy of the people. There weren't people there proclaiming. There was three guys that showed up, right? Three men, followed a star, went down there, saw that he was real, wanted to know, is this really the Christ? Is this really the one that God said would come and wipe away the sins of the world that would change the way of all of history? Is this the one? Only these wise men were there and they would enter into the stable and see the signs of the one that was coming and they would know that it was true. Jesus would enter into the world and fulfill all the promises of the prophets. Isn't that incredible? That All these things that the prophets wrote through all these years, different times, different people, different places, that when you read them all together, the fulfillment is all in Jesus. He did it all. He does it all. Every single one of them will be fulfilled. Jesus would suffer all the condemnation we deserve by taking it upon himself on a Roman cross. Everything that we feel condemned for, felt condemned for, that we felt judgment for, he took it. He took it all. He would take the snare of sin upon himself and restore us through both his death and his resurrection. If it's just the death, what do we have? If Jesus just died, what is there for us? Paul says we're pitied among all men, if that's all there is to it. But Jesus rose from the grave. Amen? Amen. And he's going to bring us into every promise that he's ever made. But today, as we celebrate his coming, his promises, his life, his death, his resurrection, we will realize that God's love will revive our joy. God's love can revive your joy. It's the love of Christ that revives our joy, the joy of our salvation. We will join God in his song of salvation as we wait upon his coming or his arrival during this time of Advent. Zephaniah exhorts Israel to fear not and not let their hands grow weak. He's proclaiming all these things, and he says, but fear not. Why does he say that? Because he knows we do that. He knows, like, I'm giving you all these things, and still you're like, oh, wait, I don't know. You know, what if this doesn't happen? What if that doesn't happen? And we go to that fear spot, and he says, fear not. Fear not. Why? Because the Lord is in your midst. Don't let your hands grow weak. The Lord is in your midst. Zephaniah repeats this truth again to remind God's people of his presence. The Lord is in our midst today, right here and right now. He's with us in this sanctuary. He's among us as his people. He's with us and he's showing us the proclamation of how great he is through his word. God is the mighty one who saves us from all our enemies. So Israel didn't have to worry about enemies. We're told that God himself would rejoice over Israel with gladness and quiet them with his love. That he's the one that's going to rejoice over Israel. God actually singing over them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Have you ever gone to a big concert? Maybe say like 100,000 people and everyone's singing, and yours floored. Think about God singing. God singing over us. His heart poured out. His heart just pouring out his love for you and I, showing us that he is so joyous over us that not only is he going to give his son to the nation of Israel, but he sings over them. He sings over them with acclamation, with love, with pride for who they are, his people. We rejoice over him because he rejoices over us. God rejoices over you and I today and he sings over you and I. He's singing over us. He's in the heavens right now and he is so joyful that you have come here today, that you are in his presence and that he has redeemed you and that he is your son. You are his son and his daughter. He is singing over you. The love of God, which passes understanding, is changing hearts as he quiets our souls too. Have you ever thought about that? The peace that can quiet your soul? How does he accomplish this? By bringing peace. And Jesus is the one that brought peace, right? Did not Jesus say, peace I leave with you? My peace I give to you? Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid that peace that he brings in the midst of whatever you're going through in the midst of fear in the midst of tribulation in the midst of even maybe a hard christmas season after god quieted the hearts of israel he exults over them with loud singing lifting their souls into the joy that only he can bring our joy in god comes from his joy in us i'm going to say that again our joy in god Comes from his joy in us. As the angels sang at the coming of Jesus, we prepare our hearts to sing today when we proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Let us join with the angels today proclaiming the goodness and greatness of Jesus as we await his second coming, his return with shouts of singing, with joyful admiration. Paul proclaims, In Thessalonians, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. The love of Christ has removed our judgment. He's restored our fortunes. Now let him restore our joy as we sing out to him. Prepare your hearts for worship to the King of all kings, to the Lord of all lords, Jesus our Christ. Confess your sin and sing a song of joy because he takes it away. You don't have to live in it. Sing with songs of joy. This song of revival, this song of renewal. Let us sing with all our hearts, loud and clear, to the only one mighty to save, Jesus, the Lord of all. Sing of his deliverance. Sing of his restoration. Sing as he revives your soul with joy and gladness. Let us sing aloud to the only savior of the world, Jesus the Christ. Let us sing because Jesus has come and he alone is the presence of love. Let us join with our God who sings over us. Praise you, Lord, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for God, just your grace, your love, your presence. God, thank you that you've given us the presence of love through Jesus, that you've wiped away all of our sins, that you've proclaimed to us in singing over us that we are your children, that you care about every part of our lives, that there's no no stone unturned, there's nothing that you cannot accomplish, there's no sin too large, there's nothing that we cannot bring to you that you will not take away. Jesus, thank you for your coming. Thank you as we are reminded today that not only did you come as a child, but one day you will come as a reigning king and you will make all things new in heaven and on earth. But till that day, God, walk with us. Remind us of who we are in you. May we bow before you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, as we sing your glorious praise for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.